For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Pro Football Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce and Doc Holliday are rambling about those Los Angeles Rams. Ramble on. Hi, how are you? Welcome to another episode of Ramblings with Isaac Bruce and Doc Holliday. I am Doc Holliday. Isaac Bruce is, he's busy this week. You know, we were supposed to go. You know, we normally go earlier in the week. I couldn't go earlier in the week because I was busy at work running a, a sports broadcasting camp along with the basketball camp with some of the coaches at the college I work at. So I was busy. Isaac was ready to go. I wasn't ready to go. I couldn't go earlier this week because I was busy. Just like today, Isaac is busy. But anyway, I'm going to give you what you want. Even if you don't want it, I'm going to give you something of what you need as we talk about our L.A. Rams. This training camp is quickly, quickly approaching. And I know I'm excited. Everyone else is excited because that means when training camp gets here, that means the NFL football season is basically here course we're looking forward to some preseason games fans can finally go inside SoFi Stadium and watch the LA Rams play in person so that's going to be extremely extremely important and exciting for not only the fans but for the LA Rams and for everybody just to be together like one big happy family talking about a big happy family my guy Isaac isn't here today but I still want to give it up to his happy family because looks like state of California Manhattan Beach Finally doing right by Isaac's descendants. Like people don't know Bruce's Beach in Manhattan Beach was a beach that was founded and bought by the Bruce family in the early 1900s. They did it because, you know, they wanted a, blacks to have a place to go because they couldn't go to other beaches. So they bought a couple of lots of land, provided an opportunity and a space for blacks to go to the beach and enjoy themselves. And when they did that, a lot of Blacks went to Bruce's Beach and bought houses and property surrounding Bruce's Beach, which ended up starting a nice little Black community. But the city comes in, state comes in, calls eminent domain after some years, took the land. And we know that, you know, the government always can claim eminent domain and take some land and move people off their property, but they're supposed to adequately compensate them. But back then, they took the land from Bruce's Beach. All the families had to move. They demolished their houses or whatever. And, you know, I think they tried to sell it to a private developer or something after that. NAACP 
stepped in. But anyway, took took the Bruce's family's land. And now it looks like they're giving it back to him. And we know how much land in California is worth. And we know how much land in Manhattan Beach is worth. Manhattan Beach, California. Because I think they bought the land. I think the Bruce uh, founders, original founders, bought the land for maybe nearly $2,000 back then. And it's got to be worth, worth at least $100 million. So the Bruce family is getting that land back. Isaac says he's going to reach out, you know, try to get him a piece of that land, which, you know, is air. I don't know if it's air property, but it belongs to the Bruce family. And looks like California is trying to make it right and give them that land back. That's a nice start because a lot of us need to get some land back. My family had a lot of land down here in Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas. So we like to get that land back as well. That was taken three or four, well, four or five generations ago. But anyway, this generation, though, as the 2021 generation, the L.A. Rams, you know, it's a, it's a report that just came out. Of it. I'm, I'm going to share this, but we already know this anyway. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler looks like he went around and he, he, he polled NFL executives, NFL scouts, NFL coaches, NFL players, you know, asking him who's the best players at positions. And not surprisingly, Aaron Donald, our Aaron Donald, who Isaac likes to call, look God, our Aaron Donald, voted the top interior lineman. Now, I like that, but I don't like it. Because for one, when you say AD is the top interior lineman, that is true. But you shouldn't just put him in the category he's the top interior lineman. He's the top defensive lineman, period, in the NFL. I mean, that's without question. That's without argument. So they really can remove the top interior lineman from on there and just kill that, scratch that category. That means they're just trying to make somebody else a top defensive lineman in some other category, like defensive end or something like that, because AD, as we say, he's a monster. He just raises hell all over the place. So he's the top defensive lineman, period, regardless of what they say in top interior lineman. Now, top cornerbacks, what y'all think? You know, last year they said Jalen Ramsey, our Jalen Ramsey was number two, the number two cornerback in all the NFL. But it looks like something happened between last year and this upcoming season. Because Jalen Ramsey is no longer number two, according to them, according to the poll. According to the poll, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler did. Asking exec scouts, coaches, players. Jalen Ramsey is no longer number two, y'all. What's up with that? How y'all feel about that? Well, he should feel good because they say he's number one now. Went from number two to number one. Which I'm not surprised at all because my man is just a straight baller. And people try to look at players and they wonder, you know, what makes them so good? You know, he, you, why is Jalen Ramsey so good? It's, it's, it, it has more to do than just your physical abilities and your physical qualities, physical, physical characteristics because he's, He's got great size for a cornerback. He has long arms for a quarterback, cornerback. He has good feet for a cornerback. And he has great hips 
Now, when we say great hips, now I ain't looking at the dude physically. I'm just saying great hips. When you're talking about a cornerback, it means fluid. He can move. He can change direction. He can open up smoothly because that's what coaches look at when they're scouting cornerbacks. They're looking at how smooth and how fluid their hip motion is. And Jalen Ramsey has some of the best in the league. And if he has some of the best in the league, that means he has some of the best in the world because the NFL players are the best football players in the world. But all that aside, still what makes Jalen Ramsey so good and what makes him the number one cornerback in the NFL is just that instinct, man. It's that instinct. You cannot coach someone instinct. I tell people that over and over and over again, you cannot coach instinct. You can't. And most of the time when you're playing football, when, when, when great players or even good players, when they're succeeding, when they're making it to the level of the NFL and you're playing in a position like cornerback, a skill position, wide receiver, running back, defensive lineman. I mean, all of them, though, linebacker. It's all about instinct. Because instinct kicks in. You'll do things and you will see things. Your body will take you places. You'll be like, I did not see that. I didn't even think about that. And Jalen Ramsey just has great instincts. That's just God-given. You can't coach. That's, the, that's why coaches can't take credit for a lot of the things that some of these great players do. Because you can coach them up. But when you're great, especially, you know, at cornerback in a position like that, it's, about, it's about, all about instinct. I say the same thing uh, about running backs. That's how I gauge good running backs. It's their instinct and their vision. Because me playing running back, I used to go back and watch game film and watch highlights of myself, and I would sit back and see, and like, man, you know what? How did I see that? Because I didn't see it. It was just instincts. It was, it was on a super conscious level. A lot of times I would get the ball, and I would – my body would automatically cut. Now, I'm not because running backs can say what they want, man. They do not have time to think like, okay, I'm going to cut back right now. Now, you can go into the play said, okay, the play is called 24 cutback. It's designed to cut back. But we used to call those plays, and I used to be like, man, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I used to ask and try to pay attention to the line call, see which way they blocking. Fan of four. And back then, when, 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 when they say fan, that means they're going to fan out. And what that means is like you got the offensive tackle and you got the uh, uh, offensive guard just say on the right side. When they say they're going to fan block, that means it's immediately when the ball is snapped and it's a running play, the offensive tackle and the off offensive guard, their right foot is going to step back a little bit and their left foot is going to stay in place. That's like they're going to fan out. Then they're going to charge forward, fan out, and try to move. And a lot of times when that happened, they say, you know, it's going to be a cutback. But if they say four, that means they're going to straight, they're going to stay straight head to head, helmet to helmet. When the ball, when the ball snap, they're immediately going to attack and they're going to smack them. Now I used to, I used to hear that, and at first I started, I was like, no, this ain't working for me, man. You know, it, I mean, you know. Y'all say, you know, the coaches be like, it's going to be a cutback. And I'm like, man, you didn't play running back. You can't tell me it's going to be a cutback because you have no idea what the defensive lineman going to do. You have no idea. You, you have no idea if the, if the uh, lineman 
are going to be able to get on their blocks. You don't know that. I know that's, that's, that's what you're calling, but you don't know if the play is going to go down that way. So I just said, man, you know what? My instinct's just going to kick me. And that's what it was. Now, my first college football game at Memphis State was in 1991. Check this out, y'all. I was, I was red-shirted because I showed up. I showed up to a, a training camp out of shape, straight out of high school. We didn't do a lot of weight training at Fairley High School uh, here in Memphis. So I got to Memphis State camp. I hadn't really worked out. You know, I was a chubby, 225 pounds. Really, you know, I, just, I was just strong, my legs, but I was chubby. When I got to camp, I was out of shape, but I was playing so well on scout team. Coach took me off scout team, but he told me he was going to redshirt me. So the majority of the season, he used to take me on all the road trips. And I was like, okay, he's letting me get, you know, get some experience or whatever. Because when you're redshirted, you don't go on no trips. If you're hurt, you don't go on a trip. They saving that spot for somebody else. But I used to go on all the road games. And up until the ninth game of the year now, now, I'm redshirted, so I really wasn't doing too much in practice because they really didn't have me on scout team. They always had me over there with the offense, uh, learning the plays, paying attention to what they're doing. But I was redshirted, so I was never really practicing much because the guys who were actually playing were getting all the reps. But they didn't want me on this offensive scout team over there going against the first-team defense. They wanted me over there with the offense so I can see all the plays and see how things are going. But I wasn't actually involved in the actual practice when we do team on team and things like that, because the running backs who were playing were getting all those reps. So I was basically even more out of shape, but I was still conditioning or whatever, but becomes the, you know, the ninth game of the year, we're playing the university of Tennessee up in Knoxville. And at the time it was about 96,000. I think it seats way more than that. They had like the number 10 team in the nation. They had, you know, Heath Shuler, Andy Kelly was quarterbacking. Carl Pickens, Dale Carter, Chuck Smith, Aaron Hayden, James Stewart on offense. I mean, they had some straight ballers. I mean, you know, they were great. And here I am, a lot of our running backs had gotten hurt. So here it is, the ninth game of the season. I hadn't really practiced too much. And my coach said, you're going to play. You're going to start. That's how he talked about it. You're going to start. We're going to go with the good doctor. That's what he called me, trying to hype me up. So I'm like, dang, man, it's the ninth game of the season. I'm about to lose my entire red shirt year. But I grew up a huge University of Tennessee Vols fan. It's a running back that had named Chuck Webb in the 80s, and he was cold. I was like, okay, I'm going I'm to go up here and do work. Well, I ain't really say I was going to do work because I didn't know I hadn't played college football. And remember, that's the, I mean, that's the same year in 1991. We, went, we opened up the season in L.A. against uh, USC. They had Curtis Conway, Willie McGinnis, Kurt Barber, Johnny Morton. You know, they had some great and, – and they was – in L.A., if y'all if, – if, if it's some old L.A. fans listening, y'all was disrespecting us so much when we came out there in 1991 to play USC to open up the season. I think Larry Smith was the head coach because they just thought it was going to be an easy game. In L.A. Coliseum, we show up. We go into Malibu Beach. We got our MSU jogging suits on and – People looking at us like, what, MSU, what is that? Is that Michigan State or Mississippi State? So we like, no, no. And for real, I, Laguna Beach was so beautiful. That's probably my first time seeing Ferraris and all those kind of things. But anyway, you know, we had Laguna Beach. They asking us. We was like, no, it's Memphis State. They was like, Memphis State has a football team? We know they have a basketball team, but we didn't know they had a football team. So we were just, they were just straight disrespecting us. So we come out there. 
And honestly, though, you know, that's, that's my first college football game because, as I said, the coach was taking me. He was taking me on the road, on the road trips. So that's my first college football game. I look down. I just look in the tunnel. And at the, in the tunnel, it's like dark. But all I see was these big old dudes, man, Tony Baselli and whoever else was playing offensive linemen. And as I said, Willie McGinnis, this dude named, I mean, they were just huge. Then they had these cleats on. They looked like they were about an inch long. So I look down in the tunnel. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And the Trojan comes out and they do their thing. I'm like, oh, okay. And we beat the brakes off of them. It was Labor Day. Only game on. You didn't have all these cable channels back then. Only game on. We beat them 24 to 10. Smacked the mess out of them. So, yeah, yeah, L.A. fans, we got them. We got them. Shocked everybody. We went 65 that year. But it, coincidentally, it was that game and that win that made Isaac, you know, start looking at Memphis State once we started recruiting him because he ended up coming in 92. And he said that's one of the reasons he ended up, he wanted to come to Memphis State. It was Memphis State at the time because we beat USC and we was playing teams like that every year. Not, you know, not what they're doing now. We was playing teams like that every year. But anyway, going back to the Tennessee game. I go out there, that's my red shirt year. I blow it, ninth game of the year. And I went out there, man, you know, I was just running. Wasn't no fan and four blocking and all this stuff. So I was just balling out, 138 yards that first game, just running on instinct. And that's why I said you can't coach instinct. You can't coach it. You just got to have it. And Jalen Ramsey has it. AD has it. Now, Darius Williams didn't make the list, but, hey, man, you playing next to Jalen Ramsey, bro. Troy Hill got paid. He was balling out. So now Darius Williams, you steps up. You step up. You're playing next, next to Jalen Ramsey. You're going to get plenty of opportunities so you can make the list. But I said all that to say is that you can't coach instinct. Jalen Ramsey has the instinct, and that's one of the reasons why he is so absolutely amazing. That's why a lot of top football players are amazing. But everyone is not blessed with that instinct that Jalen Ramsey has. And AD, see AD. You can look at him. He's physically strong. Not, I mean, yeah, he's he's physically imposing, but if you're a football player and you're looking at these offensive linemen, especially some of these offensive tackles that are 6'8", six, 6'7", six, AD comes around, he's about, you know, eight inches shorter than them, which in his position, though, is actually a advantage because football is all about leverage. If I can get up under your shoulder pass nine times out of ten, I'm going to knock your ass off. So you got AD with his work ethic as strong as he is, then he has leverage. Then he has the physical abilities. Then he has instincts because the way dude be moving and some of the stuff he be doing, he be doing it just like that. And you don't have time to think. You say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spin move. I'm going to do this. Now nah, you just do it. So instinct is extremely important. That's what Jalen Ramsey has. That's what Aaron Donald has. And that's what a lot of players on the LA Rams have. So, you know, I have an instinct that it's going to be a great season for our L.A. Rams. I'm looking forward to it. Also looking forward to the Hall of Fame. Isaac is not here today, but, you know, he had a he had a sweepstakes. I think it ends on, I think it ends tomorrow. So, But it's less engaged slash Isaac sweepstakes, $10. Get you an opportunity to make it to the Hall of Fame. Two tickets. I think hotel. Ticket to the induction ceremony, some other things. So just for 10 bucks. And I did want to mention Jalen Ramsey, now the number one cornerback in the NFL, according to these NFL execs. Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens, he's number two. He'll be balling, too. Xavier Howard, number three for Dolphins. He, he, you know, we played against him. He's locked down, too. And Stephon Gilmore, number four, Patriots. So 
Hey, as I said, it's almost here. The football team is all, that's Isaac calling right now. The season is almost here, but that's going to do it for this edition of Ramblings with Isaac Bruce, who's not here today, and Doc Holliday. Till next week, we out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.